I have sleep apnea, and I used to struggle with CPAP. Until recently, I hadn't had a good night's sleep since 2005. Do you remember 2005? We used cell phones like actual phones, and everyone wanted life hacks. Here's a life hack for anyone who struggles with CPAP. Get Inspire. It's a sleep apnea treatment that works inside your body to give you comfortable, restful sleep. Learn more at InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. my visionary friends. Thank you for joining us on yet another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary solution to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll delve into why is all of this happening? The world is a web of interrelated processes. As of late, we're being bombarded with seemingly random yet simultaneous catastrophic events. We've been faced with environmental crisis, a worldwide pandemic, extreme polarization, social unrest, failing economies, riots, looting, and in the U.S., a nightmare election and the recent desecration of our capital. Are these events unrelated and random or interconnected? Are they symptoms of a larger picture? If so, what is that picture? If we're indeed looking at a web of interrelated processes, what are the scientific principles behind it? Is there a way to use these principles to transmute our experience and evolve? With us this hour to unravel these mysteries from a scientific perspective is Shelley Renee Joyce. Joy, excuse me. Shelley attended Rice University on a physics scholarship and graduated with a degree in electrical engineering. After graduation, she worked with John Lilly on interspecies communication. She completed her doctorate in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness at California Institute of Integral, Integral Studies. Shelley is the author of several books, including Tuning the Mind and her latest, The Electromagnetic Brain. Her website, ShellyJoy.net, that's S-H-E-L-L-I-J-O-Y-E-E.net. Shelly, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Well, I'm really happy uh, to be here and talk with you. We should have fun today. So you, you have uh, been studying electromagnetic field theories of consciousness. How did you get into that topic? <laughs> I said. It's a long story. I'll try to, um, in the very beginning, uh, I was really into science fiction as a young kid, and then 
my neighbor uh, was a ham radio operator. In fact, he worked for the CIA as a communications officer. And uh, I was fascinated by his radios. Um, our families got close, and he invited me to see all the radios in his uh, in his what they call a ham shack in his basement. And they would they were just amazing. And even the smell you could smell the electrical uh, I guess ozone and and the glowing tubes. And then he could actually communicate with people in other countries. And and back then when I was a kid, there was no internet, of course, and even to call someone on the phone was like four or five bucks an hour, you know, to call out of, out of the country or more. So I, I got fascinated by electronics, and he, he talked me into becoming a ham radio enthusiast, too. And he taught me the Morse code and principles of electronics. I was kind of a nerd, too, so I really picked up on it. And I eventually uh, studied uh, physics and electrical engineering. But... Um, I got also interested in consciousness, too, uh, through some strange events, unusual events that most electrical engineers don't do. I had married an artist, and um, we went to California in the summer, and this was a long time ago, 1967, and it was the summer of love, a lot of hippies, and I was a kind of, I didn't quite fit into the engineer mold, but I wasn't quite a hippie either at but I got talked into taking LSD on the beach at night. So here I was, almost a senior in electrical engineering, uh, taking a psychedelic. But, uh, you know, I had seen in uh, magazines that that you can talk to God if you take LSD. And I felt like I really needed to talk to God because I, I was actually, I had a secret most of the first part of my life. I was transgender. But back then, there wasn't the word transgender. So I just felt like a... You know, I felt like a normal girl trapped in a boy's body, which was strange in itself. And so I kept that to myself after my parents talked me into, you know, <laughs> not making a fuss about it. And so I focused all my energies on studying, you know. And so I was kind of an introvert and a nerd, and I got really into science. And um, our, the last year of uh, electrical engineering school, they try to get you to focus on what you will concentrate on to do research in or study the rest of your life. And I hadn't decided, but when I took LSD, it was like obvious the next day, consciousness. The word consciousness hadn't even sunk into my head as, as a thing before I experienced that long night on the beach uh, uh, in other dimensions, actually directly directly perceiving these other dimensions that uh, only you know partially came to you in dreams, maybe. So I thought this is an so, area that science hasn't even begun to study. Begun to study. So would you mind? Would you mind? Would you mind telling us what are the electromagnetic field theories of consciousness? Well, uh, a lot of them haven't been um, explored much uh, because most of the people doing consciousness research in the last uh, fifty years, probably, um, they're mostly neuro neuroscientists and brain researchers. And they're mostly trained in biology and physiology. So they believe that consciousness is an epiphenomenon that comes out of the brain's neurons firing. But a few scientists who've been uh, trained more in physics than physiology have, have put forth theories that consciousness maybe was there before the brain, before biology, that there's consciousness in the electromagnetic fields, the basic energy of the universe that's everywhere that that really uh, 
these electromagnetic fields are what form atoms and electrons and protons and everything. So, uh, but when they would begin to publish their ideas, they would they would be shut out of scientific publications because the 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 dominant uh, viewpoint was that consciousness was something that just recently sprang up uh, in biology through the activity of, of, of neurons firing. So I collected, a, 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 well, over 10 or 20 years, I tried to find as much as I could about consciousness, of course, and I, I studied both religion and mysticism and science. Uh, but I managed to find 12 scientists, highly trained scientists, who felt that consciousness was an electromagnetic field phenomenon. And, and that would mean that it's uh, something that's not limited to the activity within the brain, that electromagnetic fields go through everything in the Earth and the yeah, universe. Yeah, I was going to say, so that, that would indicate that it's not, not only not limited to the brain, it's not limited to the individual. So what does electromagnetic fields and consciousness have to do with unity consciousness? Well, um, I, I'll just give you an example. As a, I still uh, am into ham radio, trying to communicate with radio waves, um, um, with machines, but also I believe you could communicate with your mind and your heart, uh, but that's, that's another another side of it. Um, to give you an example of why it's, it's so important, the, the, the latest uh, radio technology, that the uh, people who are doing avant-garde are trying to communicate with really low-power energy, low-wattage low uh, uh, radio waves, and so um, they're working with as low as 5 watts now, five watts of energy is what comes out of a flashlight, you know, a typical flashlight, not even the high-power ones, which are a little bit more. But a flashlight puts out five watts of, we call it light, but it also actually, in scientific terms, it's electromagnetic waves. Light is electromagnetic uh, uh, waves in the visible spectrum. Only a very small part of the electromagnetic spectrum can be seen by our eyes. Um, so... I was able to communicate uh, with uh, with the station in Antarctica. Actually, it was a Russian station uh, with five watts of power. With um, one of my recent radios, um, they can these days we connect computers with our radios so that we can encode and decode the electromagnetic fields at a very high rate and use much much less power. So the idea is that. Uh, more information can be transmitted at, at lower power rates through, through using really fast computers. And so just imagine our hearts also put out 5 watts of power. Our hearts, every beat, they're putting out 5 watts of electromagnetic radiation. It happens to be not in the visible band, but it's in the infrared. Infrared means just slightly below red. Uh, and we can't really see it, but we dismiss it as heat. And even many, many scientists I've talked to, uh, fellow engineers, say, "Well, that's just heat." Well, it's, heat is just how we sense it with our with our fingers and our bodies and ourselves. It's a sensory thing. What it really is is electromagnetic radiation. So every human being is putting out five watts of electromagnetic radiation. In fact, uh, night vision goggles that the military uses, you can see somebody glowing with electromagnetic radiation from like a mile or two away. Um, they use them for snipe, sniper scopes and night vision goggles. So, so, so does I, this, I thought, does why, this elect, if I can communicate a, with this Antarctica electro, from Northern is, California with five watts, 
why can't our hearts communicate with other people, other people's hearts throughout the planet with five watts? I mean, it's, it's the same amount of energy. It's just a matter of how it's encoded. And I think over like uh, several billion years, nature in developing organic beings, biological beings like ourselves, has figured out how to modulate and demodulate electromagnetic fields, um, and we call it consciousness. And it would really ex- go far to explain telepathy, which, which most scientists dismiss um, for no reason other than it doesn't fit into their paradigm. Right. So, so how, how, does the, has, how, does, uh, how does the electromagnetic field of the heart and the, that of the brain interact? Well, the, the, the brain is, uh, you can think of the brain's electromagnetic field and uh, working through the neurons as, uh, it's like the electromagnetic field that is our consciousness is using the neurons much like we use a laptop computer or a desktop computer uh, to store memories and to compare memories and to compare ideas and to, uh, to use words and languages. It does a lot of things much like our, uh, our desktop computer does things. It even creates a display for us uh, within, our, within our brain area. Uh, the heart, on the other hand, is, is something that develops earlier. It's more primitive than the, the brain, the laptop computer. The heart deals with empathy and feeling. And... Um, I mean, in fact, the Japanese word for, for, for mind is, is the same as their word for the heart, the physical organ of the heart. So uh, some of the scientists uh, in my book believe that the, the heart and the brain are two centers of consciousness that use electromagnetic fields, and they, they complement one another. So one is more analytical, and the other is more em- deals with empathy, with so feeling. It with, sounds like there's, there's quite a bit of importance in being able to balance the heart and the brain. Well, yeah. And, you know, we talk about having a heart-to-heart talk, you know. There's a, there's a lot of things reference to the heart that our culture, in fact, the, the worldwide culture, uh, talks about the heart in lots of ways. I mean, more than just Valentine's Day. But, you know, they say have a heart and a heart-to-heart talk. And, and uh, oh, he had no heart because he was just all logical and, uh, our brain tends to be logical and try to deal with facts, um, but the heart deals with feeling and and communication through feeling. And um, uh, the, Rupert Sheldrake is another scientist who's been kind of denigrated by other scientists in the established areas because he believes there's morphic genetic fields, and these morphic fields are how uh, humans and animals communicate with each other at a distance. And he even has a book called um, we're, we're something going to, about we're going to have dogs, to pick up uh, the way dogs to, respond to their owners when they're we're going to have to pick up home. we're going to have to pick up on this topic on the other side of a commercial break. Oh sure, but you yeah. Stay right there, and, and we'll we'll pick I'll up there. this time. Shelley and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Don't go away.
Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, stop, stop. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, The Power of Soul During Times of Upheaval. C.A. shares, it was so refreshing to hear how powerful we really are if we simply reconnect with our soul. Thanks, C.A. Thomas Moore is a very inspiring individual. It was an honor to have him back on the show. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled The Power of the Soul During Times of Upheaval, and let us know what you think. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can share them on the next show. With us this hour discussing the interrelatedness of all things is Shelley Joy. Her website ShellyJoy.net. That's S H E L L I J O Y E dot net. Shelly, we were we were um, working our way towards um, um, looking at how everything is interrelated, and if so, how are the events that we're suffering right now or going through uh, interrelated? How does the metamorphic field that you're about to talk about relate to that? Well, definitely, um, I believe everything is connected, and quite a few other people do. Um, if there is one universe, um, then it has to be interconnected. There can't be two totally separate things. And so um, I sort of swim against the current, thinking that all of the 
the focus on the negative things is not necessarily correct. Um, you know, there should be equally, like the glass should be also half full of, of a positive way of looking at things. And even global warming and climate change isn't that bad of a thing. It's a phenomena, and maybe just human beings are here, and maybe one of our main purposes is to warm up the planet, to get it uh, to, to have more energy, to stave off the next ice age, to cause changes, to maybe have new new evolutionary uh, things arise. Um, well, I, I won't. I won't. I absolutely change. won't. I absolutely won't argue that with you at all. I, I totally agree that everything has two sides and everything that's happening probably has purpose. However, what I was trying to ask, let me make it a little clearer, is how does the electromagnetic field, conscious electromagnetic field, interconnect us? And if, if it does, how does this impact all these events that are happening all at the same time? Well, to do that in a way, I have to get a little bit technical. And it, it took 350 pages of my dissertation to explain it with pictures. Um, the electromagnetic field is a very fascinating thing used by electrical engineers to create our iPhones and our digital devices, of course. But it, they do that mathematically. And mathematically, the electromagnetic field has other dimensions than time and space. Um, they use what's called the Fourier transform equations to design uh, electronic devices because outside of time and space, there are other dimensions. Um, in quantum mechanics and string theory, they say there's either 11 or 12 dimensions that the data shows. And time and space are only four dimensions. Space has an X, Y, and Z axis, which you can see pictorially, and that's three dimensions, three different 90 they're 90 degrees uh, to each other, so, and, and time is one dimension. It flows in one dimension on one line, which you often see in a graph. So that's four dimensions. So we basically live in a four-dimensional world, but there are 11 or 12 dimensions, depending on which flavor of quantum theory you take. And, and the mathematics proves it because they use it to develop digital devices. Okay, um, so we're, we're a digital device, right? Basically. Yes, Human beings yes. are basically digital. So does that mean that if there is a way that we can use what we are to tune into not four, but 12 dimensions? And if so, how? Definitely so. And all of the mystics and saints and uh, even scientists like Newton have explored those areas. Of course, in modern days, the most modern scientists have gotten very materialistic. And because they can measure time and space phenomena so well, they they totally focus on things in time and space, except for the quantum theorists and the quantum mechanics. Um, through meditation, there are ways to develop uh, the neuroplasticity of our brains, which means you can reprogram your brain. Um, I worked with John Lilly for a few years when I was younger, and he even wrote a book called Programming and Reprogramming the Human Biocomputer. So meditation is a way of re reprogramming your 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 own mind brain electromagnetic field combination, so that you can begin to pick up and receive information and and communication from other dimensions, which are all around us. They're they're all um, flowing through us. All of these electromagnetic waves of almost every frequency you can imagine flow through us at all times. In fact, imagine. If you have a radio uh, receiver, 
by tuning it, you can tune into all kinds of radio stations. That means that those radio station electromagnetic waves are flowing through us at this very moment. Through each one of us, there's, there's thousands of radio stations flowing through us, but there are also maybe thousands or millions of intergalactic or uh, interdimensional radio wave communications flowing through us. And what we need to do is, according to mystics and saints, is to develop our own capability to do that. Okay, and as we develop those capabilities, and they're coming through on different frequency wavelengths, do we actually um, interpret them through metaphor, some of them? And is that where our archetypes come uh, from? Uh, a, mis- a mistaken assumption is that when you when you do telepathy or you pick up information from other dimensions or other people, it's going to come across in words in your particular mm-hmm. language, English or Chinese. Or, but it's not true. At, at the higher frequency dimensions, uh, words are not used. Just like in machine language on computers, the really heavy-duty computation is happening way below the level of uh, words on the screen. Um, We call it machine language in computers, and there's a certain machine language in consciousness, too, that that you can actually tune in and communicate. uh, Maybe it won't come across as words. It'll come across as certain feelings, and to start to feel those things, one of the best receivers is uh, around the organ called the heart, where we have an an amazing plexus of of nerves and, uh, and warmth, radiation coming out of the heart. The heart's also picking up radiation. And through various yogic techniques and uh, traditional Western contemplative techniques, uh, every culture has had people who've started to explore these areas experientially. And when I say experientially, it's not a theoretical thing. Uh, these people actually claim to, in writing and in their teaching, to have figured out how to activate their inner uh, let's call it radio transception uh, systems. And, um, I mean, we call them mystics, uh, but, but that's only because it's uh, a mystery to, to science, to our modern science. And right, unfortunately, but, you know, like, our... say, for instance, the shamanic societies have been around since the dawning of time, and that's exactly where they get their information, is communication through the heart. And sometimes it comes through in symbols, and sometimes it comes through in archetypes, and sometimes it comes through fairly literally. But they get information that we would have no way of knowing, but it pans out. Is this the kind Definitely. of communication you're talking about? Yes, yes, for sure. And... um there's there's so many ways to do it that uh, I really feel that the, the next the, the 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 breakthrough that's coming in in our culture is to, is for science and mysticism to begin to work together for scientists to begin to study the things that have obviously worked for so many people in so many cultures for so long and not to dismiss them as quacks. Absolutely, uh, there's been such a gulf. Yeah. There, there it has, and there's just a wealth of information that we need. I, I want to take this a little bit different direction here, but it comes to mind that if we are unconscious of uh, what, what we take tw- four from 12 of the dimensions, yet communicating with them, and we communicate both directions, they get information from us, we get information from them. How much is what we're creating through that communication unconsciously manifesting in our world, and is that part of what we're looking at? Well, definitely. Um, you know, if, if if you're not aware that this communication is coming through, a lot of it people feel is the, coming from their own inner self, their real self, where it's really coming from the outside. 
So even the, the phenomena of, of, say, the, the masses who follow a, a political leader, uh, a charismatic leader, they're actually picking up electromagnetic wavelengths from the, the, the distributed crowd of, of millions of other people who are feeling the same way about that person, and they're starting to feel that that's their own real feelings. So people who don't really develop these, these, these systems explicitly they become they become sort of subject to it, you know, um, without without really having the, it's sort of a choiceless awareness that they have, and I think that's the phenomenon we're seeing right now, in in so much confusion in the world because there is something called collective consciousness, and there's a collective consciousness in animals and in people and in groups, uh, in tribes, in families. Um, there are all these hearts that are beating at one time. You know, there's 7 billion people on the planet, and each one is putting out 5 watts of electromagnetic radiation into our atmosphere. And it's been called the Noosphere by Teilhard de Chardin. He was a scientist priest who wrote quite a bit about it. Um, and you can, you can actually see that the, the, the groups that are feeding off each other in a collective way they almost have a collective entity, a certain personality. And we're seeing that in the world right now. And what we need to do is have people open up themselves to more channels, not just listen to one channel. An analogy would be the people who listen to CNN or Fox News or BBC, I suppose, or they have one football team that they follow. We need to lower our barriers to communication and open up to the whole planetary uh, noosphere and I believe part of that is nature. Um, when people take ayahuasca, they really feel a connection to like an, an in internet of the planet. They feel that yes, organic and I would, living. Yes, and I would really like um, a little later in the, in the discussion here, I really want to get in with that connection with nature and how it helps. But you mentioned that there are so many people on the planet right now, each of which putting out the, you know this energy from the heart and creating this inner connectedness and intercommunication that we may not or probably not um, conscious of. How, what's the impact of having so many people doing it now where before there were many, much fewer people on the planet and more tribal existence and so they, they were kind of isolated in their own viewpoints in their own way and now we've got this big soup going on. Are we in a transitional stage here and how can we find our way through it? Yes, I definitely we are in a transitional stage and I think we're on the verge of, of some amazing uh, uh, phenomena that, that you know, are going to take people by surprise. I think in a, in a real sense we're beginning to wake up as, as a species to the fact that we're not alone, that there are other consciousnesses going on around us and through us, and all we need to do is be able to figure out how to begin to communicate with them uh, directly. Um, and I think science will help paid the way, but I, I think also the knowledge from the generations of mystics and saints will also help. Uh, people have gotten a little bit too materialistic, and they're too dependent on their devices almost to do the thinking for them. But the living consciousness that flows in and out of us is still there. And, and as you said, you know, maybe 500 years ago, there were 1% uh, of the people were mystics, say, or 1% of the people were able to communicate um, telepathically or with their heart. Now that 1% is an enormous more number. 1% is 7 billion. Is that, what is it, 70 million? So if, if there's 70 million mystics now meditating at the same time um, every day, um, 
or even one million, that's putting a lot of energy into the noosphere that will maybe attract the attention of uh, other planetary forces. I think the highest consciousness around is probably in the center of our planet, where it's mm-hmm. most, I, the most I agree. heat and energy we're, we're, is. Yeah, we're going to have to get into the center of the planet on the other side of a commercial break, but it is time <laughs> for another quick pause. Shelley and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. <laughs> Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Packed past episode collection is available for listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. And if you want to know more about your host, myself, Gwilda Wiecka, you can find out more about me on www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Shelley Joy. We're speaking about in our energetic impact on the world around us. Her website, ShellyJoy.net. That's S-H-E-L-L-I-J-O-Y-E.net. Shelly, we were starting to get into some really fun stuff about the interconnectedness of people and how, I, I like to call it the 100th monkey theory after that um, uh, concept, but there's so many more of us now that are starting to tune in through the heart that are actually coming in more gifted that way, that we can start to, in mass, connect with the 12 dimensions versus just four. What impact do you think this will have on the reality that we're creating at this time? I think it will begin to lower barriers between people and social groups and um, uh and even the very people have a need for something that's transcendent. It's, it's an innate need, and and there are a lot of people who we call fundamentalists. Uh, fundamentalists uh, in Islam, fundamentalist Christians. Uh, there's other types of fundamentalism for sure, and they all believe in their particular viewpoint. But if the barriers start to come down, and if they start to hear that people really are starting to experience directly the things that they've always hoped to experience in, within their particular religion, I, I think uh, the world's going to see a major change, not so much hostility t- to one another and to other groups and to differences. Um, uh, a famous uh, Indian in India, that one of the presidents was a philosopher, one of the few philosopher kings, Sarvapali Radhakrishnan, and he said, the more truly religious, religious we become, the more tolerant of diversity we become. And that's really important. Right now, there's not a lot of tolerance for diversity. Republicans don't tolerate Democrats, and, you know, different religions don't tolerate other religions very well, and rich people don't tolerate poor people, and vice versa. But we're all one. And when we start to be able to communicate with one another with our hearts and in a collective consciousness and reach out to other species 
I don't mean just cats and dogs. They're one species, but they're, I really believe, higher, uh, higher developed beings. Um, uh, Rudolf Steiner taught us uh, this. He was a scientist 100 years ago. Rudolf Steiner taught that there are other higher levels of communication going on within us and all around us. And we need only to be able to begin to exercise these these capacities to see that we are really all one and that we should be working together instead of against one another. Let's let's um, you know, let's look wants at, to let's say look my at family's that. better than yours. But, yeah, let's, <laughs> but let's it's look not at true in, necessarily. Can we look at this in the face of polarization? Because it seems to me like that's one of the things that we're really suffering from now. Scientifically, what does polarization do uh, versus unity? Well, polarization on one level creates energy. There's an energy of, uh, between the two poles, obviously. As long as they're moving, uh, right? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think it's being used in the wrong way these days uh, between our different, uh, diverse out- viewpoints. And instead of uh, trying to harness the energy that, uh, that, that science has been able to do for our devices, we're not harnessing the energy for our cultures and our countries and our planet and you know there could be a dialogue. Uh, there's the the real famous uh, uh, pattern called uh, synthesis comes from the antithesis. You know you have a thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, and and that means that you 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 appreciate the differences, but you start to try to work with them and make something new come out of them, a new union beyond the old differences. And I think that's what all so these it's, things it's are not, to. It's not the polarization itself that's the problem. It's being stuck in one pole and unwilling to move. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're stuck, stuck in a rut. And, um, you know, I, I, I followed a Tibetan uh, teacher once. His name was Chongyam Trungpa Rinpoche. And he gave a, a really famous talk where he said, you know, we're like someone sitting on the toilet needing to do something, but <laughs> all it needs is something to to sort of catalyze that to get past the blockage. That was kind of a shocking image, I suppose, but he was a guru, and so that was the way he taught. He was a little bit controversial. But I think we are sitting on the verge of, uh, you know, everything is showing that it's almost like we're, in, we're, we're, we're giving birth to something, and so we're, we're suffering the pains of that birth. You know, the woman, most women giving birth scream in, in pain and agony for a while, and that's what our culture is doing. Our, our, our nation right now, the United States, is doing that. And the whole world is doing that with the pandemic and with the, the social discord and, uh, you know, economic problems. And we're struggling to fight with each other. But, you so know, I've, I've something got a quick will one for be coming out of it soon that's good. I agree. And but why? What put us here at this particular time in history? Is it our numbers? Is it where we are in the galaxy and the frequencies we're finding there? Why are we going into this um, uh, crisis? This huge transition at this time? Well, I think it's the very numbers—the seven billion people that keep increasing. We're getting this more electromagnetic energy from the beating hearts that's making the noosphere more living and dynamic. And um, you know, it's just like a nuclear reaction. Uh, a nuclear reaction doesn't occur until there's enough uh, uh, of these these atoms are starting to smash into each other. There has to be a critical mass. And the same way you think about a critical mass in a thermonuclear explosion, there's a critical mass of human beings uh, uh, with their consciousness activated 
that it's going to erupt into some real transformation on the earth in response to the climate change, to the political change, to our technology change. And um, I think there's going to be a great integration coming in the near future. You know, and you know, after the pandemic of 1918 and World War I, what happened? If the Roaring Twenties emerged, the Roaring Twenties as a response to all of the horror from a few years earlier, people started celebrating and relaxing, and and um, I think we're going to see a, a Roaring Twenties again, Roaring Twenties uh, in the 2020s, and that's just my take on it. Um, right now, everyone's pretty much focused on doom and gloom. But they'll get through that. You know, everything changes. And there will be an upswing to the arc of, of history coming how much very do you shortly, think, I believe. I like that thought. <laughs> and how much do you think our focusing on and even trans, translating what we're going through as doom and gloom is creating the doom and gloom? I think it does matter what we focus on. Um, and right now, we're, it, it, there's no way to stop the focus on, on the doom and gloom in the near future. But, you know, as, as the year advances and people get more vaccines and the, the epidemic starts slowing down and spring returns to the, to the northern hemisphere, at least, I think there's going to be a real shift in people's consciousness. And then, as I say, we're sitting on the verge of a big breakthrough in understanding the mind and, and consciousness itself. And there are a lot of scientists starting to move in the direction that I've always felt was important to the fact that we can actually change the way we think and the way we are able to receive other people's thoughts and feelings and uh, do it with more empathy and less analytical logic. And So you know, more from the heart. Yes, so, morphing into some new, new way of being. So what does the conscious electromagnetic information field have to do with our perception of reality? Well, it's, it's the, the conscious electromagnetic field is really us ourselves. Um, there's something called panpsychism. is a big philosophy that believes that consciousness is at the basis of all, of everything. That consciousness is not some kind of an epiphenomenon that sprang out of neurons firing in the brain of the humans and animals, but that consciousness is basically the bottom bedrock of the universe. And that, furthermore, there's one self. Uh, Carl Jung called it the self with a capital S. There's one self, and many people have called it God, or Brahma, or Yahweh, or the void. Um, uh, uh, quantum physicists call it the implicate order. And David Bohm, especially, who I wrote about in some of my books, uh, talks about the implicate order as where consciousness is coming out from, that there's one awareness, one consciousness looking out through each one of us, and we're like just different perspectives of that one being, looking out and mistakenly, mistakenly thinking that we're the only center of our universe, where the real center is the one self. So we're really all connected, uh, as we began speaking at the beginning of our conversation here. We're all connected with one another and with the universe. And it's so silly from a certain perspective to fight and to hate one another, you know, although it does stir it up and make it a very interesting sort of a stew with lots of flavors. And in one sense, the universe is, is a creation of that one self, that one God, trying to explore different ways of perceiving itself. And we're doing a really good job right now by <laughs> having so many uh, little scenarios going on 
uh, I'm sure a lot of people watch Westworld, but it's kind of like Westworld where, you know, we we think we're sort of uh, uh, mechanical beings uh, created by biology, but we're really bigger than that. We're, we're, we're more interconnected than we could really imagine. And basically so can, most religions teach that at the core. So do you think we can um, actually change? We were talking about consciousness and the conscious electromagnetic field and what it has to do with our perception of reality. Can we actually change reality by changing those perceptions, what we're tuned into? Definitely. You know, it's like... Um, it's like a, 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 the, uh, there's an old story in India that somebody walking through the forest and sees a snake and gets terrified and then finds out later that it wasn't a snake, it was a vine, you know, or a rope or something. We tend to get all panicky when we see things um, not going our way. And, and we, we tend to listen too much to some leaders who tell us that everything is gloom and doom and falling apart. It's like Chicken Little, you know, the old story you learned when you were a kid. Oh, the sky is falling down, the sky is falling down. But it's not. We're part of evolution. And evolution, the evolutionary arc is always moving towards something more fascinating, more complex, more beautiful, really. And But sometimes you have to go through the night uh, before the dawn starts to glow and you start to realize that there's a day coming. And I think we're right on that cusp of civilization's uh, nighttime right now. Uh, which Dark we, night of the soul, yes. <laughs> and that not that the way life works? Is In order to build something, you have to dismantle what was, freeing up the constituent parts to be repurposed. Isn't that where we are right now, is going into chaos? Well, yes. Uh, no pain, no gain is something I think weightlifters say. You know, if there's no pain, there's no gain. And we're going through the pain of dismantling systems that didn't work. Uh, maybe even our economic system was devised for a certain period of humankind to develop our ca- capacity to feed everybody, but it's sort of gone amok. It's like the uh, the emperor's apprentice, you know, that started drawing water and, and they couldn't stop the brooms from drawing all the water. Well, we're just consuming the planet right now because the old economic theories were, were built for a certain time and a certain stage of evolution, and they need to be taken apart and re recast into something that's more appropriate for the modern and the, and the future days to come. Uh, with 7 billion people, we just can't have the, the, the Earth broken up into thousands, hundreds of little separate countries with different, uh, different ways of seeing things and, and thinking they're the best and we have to fight the others. Think of all the money and, and material going into building weapons and to protect uh, imaginary lines on the map, borders. If all that money went into you know, our uh, more more creative things, we would find ourselves soon out of all the problems that we have. But like you say, we have to sort of tear them down first before we can rebuild them. And um, like I say, no pain, no gain. But I think we've been going through a lot of pain, and it's about time we started seeing the gain. Started seeing so the I'm other pretty side. Well, speaking of other so, sides, think- we... We need to take another commercial break. We will bring Shelly back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net.
Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Shelly Joy. Her website, ShellyJoy.net. That's S-H-E-L-L-I-J-O-Y-E.net. And you want to visit her website. She's got lots of really wonderful things there for you. And she's just barely been able to share some of her information with us today. So it's, it's a place where you can find out more. Shelly, we've kind of outlined the problem and some pretty phenomenal uh, possibilities that are up and coming. As far as transmuting our situation, and um, I think we've ascertained that that indeed all of this is in a related process. This is going on, not just something random. However, while we're going through this wild upheaval, um, it occurs to me we start talking about the uh, metamorphic field um, and animals and nature. It seems to me like they haven't lost their way. <laughs> this seems to be a human phenomenon. So how can we take advantage of the balance and the, and the grounding that they hold to steward us through these times? Well, it's, I think it's important for people to, to get out in nature when they can, uh, especially now during the time of the pandemic. I, I think most people are allowed to go out into nature, although probably alone, and it's not a bad thing to do because... Um, these morphic fields actually come from even trees. If you're among the trees, are, are rocks actually, you know, they they store the 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 information of all the things that they've experienced. Uh, you don't think like a rock experiences a whole lot, but it is full of living atoms and electrons and electromagnetic fields. And I really believe that a lot of things store the the, the wisdom and the history of our planet. In fact, when people go on pilgrimages, uh, more traditionally they used to in the Middle Ages especially, there are holy places, uh, not only in, in India, but in the West too, places that uh, special things have happened, and many people have gone and prayed and, and worshipped in those regions. So th- there, there are places on the earth, uh, in nature, that people can learn and be taught by the, the, the noospheric uh, energies that are in nature. So I would I would urge people to spend more time in nature, especially now, because that's where you get the real teaching of of harmony and how to heal the earth. Um, you know, I, I've I've experienced ayahuasca several times uh, in the past ten years, and uh, one of the feelings you get when you're on ayahuasca is that there is a connected, interconnected uh, awareness of the planet on a biological level of all these creatures and plants that flow together almost like our uh, radio wave spectrum. We have so many, uh, you know, FM, AM, and shortwave radios going everywhere. The the animals and living things of the planet uh, do have their own information flowing that you can actually sense and resonate with um, if you open to it, if you're able to quiet your own internal dialogue, uh, practice some of the Asian traditions and even Western traditions of silence, of being quiet inside, so quiet that you can start to feel nature, and nature will start to teach you. Um, the animals will share their wisdom with you, and I think that uh, this is something that's been missing in our modern education, which seems to teach people mostly to become uh, economic pieces of the puzzle where they can, you know, do taxes and, uh, you know, balance their, their books and and do politics and things like that. 
but 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 there's less and less teachings about about just communing with nature. This was a big thing among the romantic poets in England and in Europe back in the 18th 19th century, and um, and in Germany even, too. Yeah, even Vivaldi's Four Seasons was inspired by the seasons. I mean, some of the most beautiful things have come through our our, our creative people from nature, and it seems like we've detached ourselves from that to our own detriment at this point. How much can we start to, like an initiatory place, a place to start, how much can we start to reconnect with nature by watching the synchronicities around us from nature? Owens, and well, that I mean, sort of thing. Uh, e- even if you, if you just go out at night uh, 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 with a clear sky, hopefully your city doesn't have too many lights that mask the stars. When you look at the stars, there's been many mystics that believe that by, by looking at the stars, you you connect with the universe in a, in a deeper sense. You you actually are receiving photons that have that have begun like millions of years ago. These photons have passed across the universe and now enter your eyeballs, your eyes, your brain, your neuronal system, and that they may have encoded uh, information on a very subliminal level. So many ancient astronomers were also mystics. In fact, uh, Stonehenge, I think, was was erected partly because of, of their fascination with the heavens and the sun. Um, there's even been mystics who stare at the sun, you know, briefly, just blink at the sun now and then, believing that Amun-Ra, if this was something in, uh, prevalent in Egypt a long time ago, that the sun actually can communicate with us. The sun is our father, our mother, our source of energy and life, and that those photons have encoded in them real information that can affect us. So... Um, it's not just uh, it's not just book learning and reading books inside a library within four walls that will teach us. I really think nature can teach us, and that's part of meditation. Why it's so important to learn how to pray and meditate in traditional ways, so that you quiet your normal analytical mind and your neurons and your laptop mind. You you put your laptop mind to sleep, so that you can start to really hear what's going on on a much deeper level, uh, at smaller dimensions. There are higher frequencies at smaller dimensions. That's why we, uh, we get smaller and smaller computer chips so they can run faster and deal with more information. And, and part of meditation is learning to focus inwardly on smaller and smaller uh, dimensions of time and space to pick up things that we normally don't get in words and languages and sort of shouting at each other. So, so if, we, if we are to start to reconnect with the, with the messages, the electromagnetic messages from the sun, from the stars, from nature itself, from the earth, don't we first have to come into a space of receptivity, and does gratitude take you there? Definitely gratitude does, but, uh, but also intention. Intention is really important. See, one, one needs to have the intention to try to grow uh, in sensitivity. The intention, and you have to intentionally listen Quiet, intentionally quiet your mind stop thinking in words that's very important get away from the words and the memories your current memories try to just be aware of everything that's around you and inside you um, most traditionally people close their eyes or meditate and pray in the dark uh, yogis would do it in a cave in Tibet they would find caves to go into so that you can attenuate your external senses and focus more intend to listen and pick up information from other other dimensions. And according to Rudolf Steiner and many, many people, uh, progress will happen pretty quickly 
but you have to have the intention to try and it requires a little belief in the in the beginning you have to generate some kind of belief that something's going to happen but just by reading almost any of the the the, the, the books uh, or uh, essays that have been written by mystics and and uh, saints and contemplatives you get to you get the feeling of uh that there is something there it's not just uh, the bs that uh, a material scientist would call it and i think there are more and more material scientists who are starting to meditate and open up to introspection. Uh, introspection was a word used by uh, by early uh, psychologists in the United States, especially the father of psychology, William James. Introspection is quieting your brain and 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 looking inside, listening, just listening to what's happening, uh, being receptive, intentionally saying, "I want to receive something. I want to receive a message." And then being open to the mystery of feeling what that message is. We well, you know I, when you you brought up a topic that before we close, I'd really like to look into briefly, and that's that the sacred sites where people have gone and prayed and and held things sacred. Does our going there, like a cathedral, who who hasn't walked into a cathedral and and felt like there's just sacredness emanating out of the stone that it's built out of? That's something that our electromagnetic fields have activated in the the temple. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and if that's the case, how much can our putting out sacredness, our putting out intention, our putting out um, holiness, how can that start to transmute our human constructs? Well, you've just outlined the basic idea of prayer. When people pray for something, um, it's intentional. That by being really quiet and putting out the intention, say, to heal uh, our, our country, to heal our planet, to heal people who are sick right now, to uh, putting out the intention into the noosphere. This noosphere is this collective bandwidth of electromagnetic radiation that surrounds the Earth. Uh, there's the geosphere, the biosphere, and the noosphere. The noosphere is, is an active living thing, and by it's like praying for somebody to heal or praying for something to get better. By by just sitting quietly every day or whenever you can, um, and putting in the the intention into the atmosphere that things are going to get better. Uh, in Tibetan, they call it Fang Ling, where when you breathe out, you breathe out good intentions. When you breathe in, you breathe in the suffering of other people. You actually willingly take in their suffering, and you give out you you give out uh, good feelings of healing, and anything that you have that's good to put out there. You intentionally try to put out good vibes. We would call it back when I was a hippie. We said good vibrations, and you can actually spread the good vibrations by. Uh, and I'm serious here, by trying to meditate with good intentions. And, and warm thoughts and, and, and hope, putting hope into the atmosphere, the general atmosphere of the collective consciousness. Transmutation, uh, that would be... Fear and constriction. That would, that would be transmutation at its finest, isn't it? You're taking in the chaos, which is something that's needed right now, and then sending back out order, aren't you? Yes, it's alchemy. It's inner alchemy. In Taoism, yeah. they talk about the alchemy of the soul or the inner systems. And it's learning how to transform our different regions of our consciousness. In fact, there's areas called chakras that the uh, the Indians and the Taoists, uh, uh, even even in Christianity, they talk about the the sacred heart of Jesus. 
uh, are are focused on the, the abdomen. There's areas in the body you can develop by focusing on them, intentionally trying to activate them until they become receivers of noospheric information from these other dimensions. And um, you know, a, a lot of this are in my books. I have 15 books that you can find on Amazon if you look for Shelley Joy. Dot. And 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 um, I've tried to explain things to people who don't have a scientific background, but I've tried to give the scientific basis for for transcendental ways of of knowing the universe and knowing the world. I mean, you can even communicate with people who have passed, the dead people, um, through being able to go to the Akashic records. Uh, it's an Indian concept that there's all the information in the universe is collected in this these other dimensions, not time and space, but in these other dimensions that quantum theory points to as a reality. And the fact that they're real is our iPhones in our hands, or our desktop computers. These were all developed through doing equations in these other dimensions um, that, that, that show us how to modulate electromagnetic fields in a way that carry and receive information that we can't do with our voices and our words and our languages. So well, Shelley, Shelley, this is—it's amazing to me <laughs> how much more we could share and how quickly time has gone. But unfortunately, we are at the end of our time together. I can't thank you enough for being on the program. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I wish we had three more hours to just get into it. <laughs> we could have fun, couldn't we? Well, blessings yeah. to you, and thank you for all you're bringing to the world. Unfortunately, we are out of time, and Shelley has been so kind to come and share her uh, wisdom with us. Our guest this hour has been Shelley Renee Joy, Ph.D. Shelley is the author of several books, including Tuning the Mind and her latest, The Electromagnetic Brain. Her website, ShelleyJoy.net. Remember, our entire information-packed episode collection is available for listener download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. You can find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, at www.findyourpathhome.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. <laughs>